Welcome to the Idaho Debates. Tonight, a look at the candidates for Attorney General. The Idaho Debates is organized by these partners. Funding provided by the Friends of Idaho Public Television, the Idaho Public Television Endowment, and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Hello and welcome to the Idaho Debates at the Idaho Public Television Studios in Boise. This is one of four debates we're hosting before the November 8th general election. Tonight, the candidates for Attorney General take the stage to ask for your vote. The Attorney General defends Idaho laws in court. They sit on the state land board and oversee Deputy Attorneys General who provide legal representation to Idaho state agencies. I want to welcome the candidates, Raul Labrador and Tom Arkush. Tom Arkush has primarily worked in private practice, though he also has experience as a county prosecutor and in the Washington Attorney General's office. He specializes in water law, civil litigation, administrative law, and public affairs. Former Congressman Raul Labrador is currently an attorney in Nampa who specializes in immigration law. He also sits on the Central District Health Board of Health. Prior to representing Idaho's Congressional District 1 for four terms, he was in the Idaho State House of Representatives. I also want to introduce our panel of reporters who will ask the candidates questions. Kelsey Mosley Morris of the Idaho Capital Sun and Jake Garcia of Idaho News 6. I'm Melissa Davlin, host of Idaho Reports here on Idaho Public Television. I'm moderating tonight's debate. Helping us keep track of time is Macy Utecht, volunteer timekeeper from the League of Women Voters Education Fund. Each candidate will be given 90 seconds for opening comments and 60 seconds for closing statements. Candidates also have 90 seconds to answer questions and 60 seconds for rebuttals. I will allow for some back and forth if I think the conversation is productive and educational for voters while trying to make sure each candidate gets about equal time. We flipped a coin to see who would go first and Mr. Arkush, you have that honor. Thank you very much. Good evening, my name is Tom Arkush I'm a fourth generation Idahoan running for Attorney General. I want to thank Idaho Public Television and your viewers for making this happen this evening. The Attorney General's office is the largest law office in the state of Idaho. Its mission is the cons <coughs> consistent application of the rule of law to things that matter to its clients, you, uh, the Idahoans. <coughs> the guidebooks are the United States Constitution, the state constitution, and our state statutes, of course. I promise to abide by those guidebooks. Now, I've been practicing law in Idaho for over 44 years. I've been practicing every kind of law. I do not need on-the-job training. <clears throat> my opponent, on the other hand, excuse me, <clears throat> my opponent, on the other hand, has convinced himself that the Attorney General's office is, in fact, a political office. He promises to fight for freedoms. And what freedoms might, the <clears throat> might those be? It's the freedom to deny women health and arrest their doctors. It's the freedom to defund our schools. It's the freedom to ban our books and close down our libraries. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, I want to run an, a uh, a uh, law office, and I think my, my opponent wants to run a cultural war room. Thank you. Thank you. Congressman Labrador. 
Melissa, thanks for having us here. Thank you, Idaho Public TV, and most importantly, thank you to the viewers and the voters of Idaho. I'm Raul Labrador. I'm a former congressman and former legislator, but most importantly, I'm a father, a husband, a grandfather, and a pretty lucky son of a wonderful mother. I'm running to be Attorney General because I think the Attorney General's office deserves a strong, <coughs> aggressive, conservative attorney general that understands that the people of Idaho need somebody who will defend their rights, their freedoms, and their liberties. The greatest fights for the future of our nation, for the future of our country, are happening in the courts. And what we need to do is we need to look forward to how we can fight those fights. We shouldn't be looking to the past and how we have lost many of those fights and how we have missed uh, fighting those fights. I think the Attorney General's office is, is important to have somebody who understands how to work with the legislature, who understands how to work with the elected officials. The role of the Attorney General is to work within the political process. When you're working within the political process, you're working with elected officials. We're wor working with people who have been appointed to positions by elected officials. And you need to understand how that works. You can't just get on the job training and decide that because you have been a lawyer for a long time and you've never really worked with these agencies in the way that you need to do, that you're now going to be able to work with them in a way that you can provide good legal advice to them. I'm really excited about this opportunity and I'm looking forward to be your next Attorney General. Thank you so much. Our first question comes from Jake Garcia for Mr. Arkush. Yes, Mr. Arkush, uh, you've never held public office, but if elected, you'll be tasked with defending legislators and the governor. Uh, some of whom you may disagree fundamentally with. How do you get past that and explain your legal opinion uh, to people that you disagree with? <clears throat> well, the Attorney General has these tools. On the one end, he writes opinions. On the other side, the ultimate tool is litigation. In the middle is discussion, and that's absolutely no different than the operation of any law office. When you have a client, and initially you give them an opinion, and before you take them into litigation, you sit down and visit with them. I've had 44 years of doing that. I have never had a complaint about a frivolous defense or a frivolous lawsuit. I think a lot of what might be going on is that we never get to the middle. The opinion is written, and the state goes straight to litigation. It is my hope if that job is conducted correctly, if that job is conducted by, some, with, by somebody with the experience of 44 years counseling clients, we will come to the middle and talk it through before we get to the extreme of litigation. This state has too quickly gone to litigation and it's cost us a lot of money. I hope to see that end in the future. However, if you're an aggressive attorney general, and you want to get to the courts, and you want to have a fight with everybody you can find, you might vote for the other fella. But if you want to work out your problems in the middle and come together as a state and focus on potholes, perhaps I'm your man. And then, Mr. Labrador, for you, you've criticized the current Attorney General for not more strongly defending some laws. But the AG does not make laws they just work within the laws mm -hmm. that are written to defend the state. What will you do when asked to defend a law that you as an attorney know won't hold up in court? 
That's a great question. You know, the oath of office for the Attorney General is pretty simple. It says, I do solemnly swear that I will support the Constitution of the United States and the Constitution of the State of Idaho, and that I will faithfully discharge the duties of Attorney General according to the best of my ability. My opponent, the first thing that he announced was that he was not going to, to actually defend the laws of the state of Idaho, that he was not going to defend the laws which, which he disagrees uh, with the legislature. He's already lost the trust of the legislature because he's already said, he's already indicated to the legislature that he's going to put his political positions ahead of the positions of the people of Idaho. All the laws in the state of Idaho, it's the duly elected representatives that decide what those laws are. I don't get to decide what those laws are. In fact, I may even disagree with, with the uh, legislature in some cases. But my job <clears throat> is to give them the best legal advice possible and to help them draft the legislation in a way that I can defend in the courts. Even Lawrence Waston, who I was sometimes in disagreement with, never fail to defend this state in the courts. He has said that he's not going to defend the law, that he's going to make deals with the DOJ, with the Department of Justice at the federal level, and he has said that he, he, if he disagrees with the law, he will not aggressively defend it. I will aggressively defend whatever the legislature does, but what I hope to do is to guide them in drafting the legislation so we don't lose as often as we have been losing in the past. Mr. Arkush, do you want to respond? I do, just momentarily. There are laws and then there are laws. In my opening statement, I pointed out the guidebooks included the federal constitution and the state constitution. And that is where the rub has always been. I've not lost the trust of the legislature. I might have lost the trust of some conservative legislatures that he's promised to partner with and exclude everybody else. But I think moderate legislators will come with me to the middle and talk. Thank you. It's amazing to me that he st announces that he's going to just ignore what the legislature does. He says here, just now, there are laws and there are laws. So apparently he, the one person, understands better than the 70 members of the legislature, 70 members of the House and the 35 members of the Senate. Only he understands what the law should be in Idaho, and he will get to decide. This is why he's ill-equipped and poorly qualified to be the Attorney General of the State of Idaho. He wants to supplant his own personal opinion, his own personal biases, for the duly elected representatives. And it's just really incomprehensible to me that anybody who thinks that their job is to actually be smarter than the legislature and to tell the legislature when they're right and they're wrong that that person wants to be the Attorney General of the State of Idaho. And we'll be able to get into mm. more of that relationship soon. The next question is from Kelsey. Mr. Arkush, if elected, you will be tasked with representing the state in at least three pending lawsuits regarding anti-abortion legislation that passed the legislature. Do you support the legislation? And if not, how would you effectively represent state legislature's interests? The question of whether a non-health-related abortion is currently before our Supreme Court, and I believe the arguments will be heard later this week. <clears throat> the Attorney General has to support their decision regarding what they decide to do. The difficulty is the woman that is in trouble, the woman that has her health jeopardized. Our current legislation says, unless it's rape, or um, incest, or to save the woman's life, 
you can't have help. Rape and incest, I understand, but the question of when you're saving a woman's life, according to every doctor I've talked to, involves a tipping point. And that tipping point is too vague for medical science. Now, we've been bailed out. The Imtala lawsuit, the Department of Justice lawsuit, says you have to, if you take Medicare money, you have to treat a woman whose health is in jeopardy, not just wait until she's going to die. But, and Judge Windmill bailed us out. He, he imposed an injunction on the health care part of our abortion legislation. The difficulty is now that the legislature has doubled down after they've been bailed out. The Supremacy Clause, the United States Constitution, says that Imtala law controls. And frankly, it's not only common sense, it's common decency not to leave these people in trouble. Next question is for Congressman Labrador. Congressman Labrador, you criticized the Department of Justice for requesting that injunction that Mr. Cruz was referencing over the abortion ban. A federal judge granted that partial injunction, citing the safety of a pregnant woman in emergency situations. At what point do you believe it is acceptable for the federal government to intervene with a law written by state legislators? That's a great question. The Supremacy Clause says that the federal statutes proceed over state statutes. But the question here that he doesn't seem to understand is whether EMTALA actually supersedes or is superior to the state, to the law that was passed in the state of Idaho. There's two federal decisions right now that were decided on this issue. In the state of Idaho, Judge Windmill decided that EMTALA prevented us from enforcing the law in the state. In Texas, there's a federal judge who actually said that EMTALA doesn't even apply to abortion laws, that, that it was a, actually an overreach of the Department of Justice, because what people need to understand is that they're basing it on a memo that was written by the Department of Justice and was written by the Secretary of Health and Human Services. There's actually a conflict in the law. There's a Texas uh, federal case that says that EMTALA doesn't even apply to these cases. Our Judge Windmill decided that it does apply to these, to, to, uh, to these abortion cases. The reality is that our law is really clear. Our law says that if a woman's life is in jeopardy, that the abortion can be provided. And in the cases, case after case after case that doctors keep bringing forward, in those cases, the woman's life would be in jeopardy. So our law would allow the abortion. In fact, in, in the case of an ectopic pregnancy, it's not even an abortion because an ectopic pregnancy, you actually have an unviable or non-viable fetus. So an abortion doesn't even come into place when there's an ectopic pregnancy. He doesn't seem to understand this. He seems to only be give, doing the talking points that Jim Jones and other people have given to him. But he needs to understand that we need to defend the law of Idaho instead of um, saying that we're going to cave to the federal government. So the question like was about when you believe it's acceptable for the federal government to intervene with the law by state legislators. I, I think most of the time it's unacceptable unless we're clearly violating federal law. And in this case, we're not clearly violating federal law and we're going to win. Uh, at, if we don't win, obviously we're not going to win with just windmill, but we're going to win in, on appeal and in the Supreme Court. And briefly, Mr. Arkush, would you like to respond? I would. <clears throat> Council should know that uh, pregnancies defined in our law as a fertilized egg. So an eptoptic pregnancy is a problem. The, that was the argument made in court and Judge Windmill just rejected it entirely. He should also know that in the Texas law that it provided for 
a pre, uh, an abortion if the woman's health was in jeopardy. Ours does not read that. Theirs read very close to the federal law. He should also know that the statute, uh, the statute actually mentions abortion, the federal statute. Thank you. The next question is from Jake. Oh, this is for both of you, but I'll start with Mr. Arkush. Idaho made national news last week when the University of Idaho issued a memo advising staff members to avoid promoting abortion and to remain neutral when the subject comes up in a classroom setting. Uh, this is an effort to comply with the No Public Funds for Abortion Act that was passed by the legislature last year. But critics have questioned whether this is an infringement on First Amendment rights or academic freedoms. What is your interpretation? Idaho Code 18 or, uh, yeah, 18-603, part of these abortion laws, says it is a, is a felony. It's actually a felony to give notice of materials regarding abortion. And so the University of Idaho has, has responded to that deliberate chilling effect under the First Amendment. And I'm really worried about these conservative legislators. That isn't the only chilling effect. Last year, there was a statute to ban books and arrest people who only cataloged the books, didn't even write them. That's a First Amendment violation. And we, I, I'm afraid we're going to have a statute that comes up and tells us that a pregnant woman can't travel. That's a violation of the Interstate Commerce Clause, even though the platform of the Republican Party said they don't want any interference under the Interstate Commerce Clause of the transport of ammunition. I think that... I, I was just criticized by my opponent for not understanding the law. I don't think he understands the hierarchy here. All of these problems result from a deliberate effort to confront the federal constitution. And everything comes under the Tenth Amendment according to these conservative legislators. That is to say it's not addressed in the federal constitution. All of these things are addressed and all of these things are a problem and there needs to be discussion before this litigation. Thank you. Mr. Can Labrador, you repeat the, the question? question? You talked about 20 different yeah, what things. Is, what I, is your interpretation of that law when it comes to the memo that the University of Idaho set up? So I haven't read the memo, but uh, what I understand from just uh, reports is that the university said something really clear, that, that <clears throat> in the case of advocating for abortions, uh, employees of the university could not advocate for abortion. But if you were just going to have a discussion about the policy of abortion, that that would be fine, that there's nothing wrong because that, that's where your First Amendment rights are implicated. If, so it's the difference between discussing in the classroom, which there's full academic freedom for, or advocating for abortion and other things. There's also something which I don't really, I haven't read the memo, but that I've read in, in the reports that talks a little bit about contraceptions and things like that, but that's not based on the law, as I understand it, on the law that just passed a couple of years ago. That's actually based on a law that's been on the books for 40 years, and that's something that we need to uh, talk to the legislature about and make sure that they clarify. The next question comes from Kelsey Mosley Morris. Mr. Arkush, you have significant experience working under the federal court system, but less experience working in Idaho's district courtrooms. Why should Idahoans trust that you're prepared to take on the types of cases that the AG's office sees? I've appeared in 104 actions in our federal system. I've appeared on maybe three or four more t times more in our state system. I have a lot more experience than that 104 cases in the federal system in the state system. So uh, 
you might have those numbers a bit reversed. Why should they trust me? Well, I run a, a uh, successful law office, and I'm not looking for a job, and I'm certainly not looking for the pay cut that would come with this job. So I think that they can trust me given my 44 years of experience. And the other thing about my experience I want you to know, I not only have a respectable expertise, I'm not the best expert in Idaho, and I can name those men, but I have a very respectable expertise in water law, but I have done a tremendous amount of administrative law. And that's where the rubber meets the road for most of our businesses. That's where we have to decide whether we're gonna build or not build. And I have litigated innumerable state agency cases and appeared before innumerable state agencies in the state of Idaho. And I, I truly do understand administrative law and I understand that we cannot make administrative law a burden. It's got to, it's got to push the business processes forward. Thank you. Congressman Labrador, while you have political experience and lobbying experience, you haven't worked in recent magistrate district courtrooms in Idaho in some time. Why should Idahoans trust that you're prepared to take on a variety of cases <coughs> that the Idaho Attorney General's office sees every year? You know, as former Attorney General, uh, David Leroy said, I'm probably one of the most qualified people who's ever run for this office. I have litigation experience. I was a litigator. I did immigration law in the federal courts, and I did uh, in the federal administrative courts, and I also did criminal law in the state courts. I also have experience as a legislator. I have experience as an elected official. I have experience in so many different areas that are relevant to this position. You know, my opponent and his friends keep attacking me because I said at one point that this is a political position. It is a political position. I, I thought I was saying that the sky was blue. That's all I thought I was saying, that because the Constitution requires that you get elected, that you go to the voters, that you ask the voters to, to, to give you their support, that you have to go through the political process when you're dealing with the legislature and elected officials. I thought it was a simple answer. Somehow that has been misconstrued by, by my opponent and his friends as saying that I want to put politics above the law. I have never said that once. In fact, I invite you to do a Google search. I have never said that once. The only people who say that are my opponent's friends and his supporters, because the only way that they can attack me is by lying about my record, by exaggerating the things that I have done. My record is really clear. I am a strong conservative advocate for the values of Idaho. I am a strong conservative advocate for the people of Idaho, and I will defend them in the courts. I will defend them when I represent them as attorney general, and that's why I overwhelmingly won in the primary, uh, because the people of Idaho were looking for a new direction in that office. So how has your experience lended to, to those qualifications? I, I have trial experience. I have uh, experience in government. I have staff in government that I, I have been, I, I had 14 people who worked for me in, uh, in, in, the, uh, in the congressional office. I also had a law firm for 10 years where I had three attorneys work, working for me and five or six paralegals. So I have extensive experience in private practice. I have extensive experience in government practice. I even own a private business unrelated to the law. There's nobody in this race that has the experience that I have, and that's why people are excited about my candidacy. Moving ne next to education. Uh, 
Mr. Arkush, the Idaho Constitution says it shall be the duty of the legislature to, of Idaho to establish and maintain a general, uniform, and thorough system of public free common schools. There are legislators pushing to allow private school vouchers. Do you believe those are constitutional? No. And the reason I believe is this. Just very recently, the U.S. Supreme Court has said that if you're going to give vouchers to private schools or money to private schools, you have to give vouchers or money to religious schools. And the Blaine Amendment in the state constitution says we can't do that. So right now, I believe that is a dead issue. And it should be a dead issue. The issue in education today, uh, the most important issue in education today is funding, as you know. Uh, the equal education opportunity cases, starting in 1990, resulted in an opinion by our Supreme Court in 1998 that it's, it's the state's obligation to provide for facilities. And in 2005, our Supreme Court found we weren't doing that. And I think that we have to address that issue head on at some point. The Office of Performance Evaluation found that we're short $850 million to make 77 of our school districts have facilities that were just good. And somehow the legislature and the core and the, and the everybody else involved in the educational system have swept that under the rug. It needs to be addressed. Thank you. So assuming the legislature passes a, a, or a private school vouchers bill next year, how would you approach that when legal challenges arise to it? The same way. I would write an opinion and then I would try to talk. You know, that the, the fact that the legislature passes this stuff doesn't mean that's the total end of the road before we have to go litigate. And something I need to point out to counsel about this litigation question, a lawyer takes an oath not to do frivolous stuff. And in court, when you sign pleadings, there's a rule that says you can't do frivolous stuff. So there is a way around it for the Attorney General's office. There, uh, for the pending case right now on abortion, there are folks that are indeed content to represent the legislature. The Attorney General's office, if, if the Attorney General thinks it's frivolous, can literally contract with one of those folks and provide uh, defense for the people. Thank you. Congressman Labrador, same question to you. Uh, if those public private school vouchers, are they constitutional? So number one, uh, when I've talked to the legislature, they're not doing private school vouchers, as you call them. What they want to do is money follow the child. And when money follows the child, then the parent gets to decide what um, what they can do with that money, whether it goes to a private school, whether it goes to a religious school, whether it goes to a public school. I think that's what they want to do. Uh, and if you look at the Supreme Court recently said that any money that is given to a parent or to an institution, uh, if it's given to an individual or an insti or institution, that money can then be used uh, for religious uh, purposes as long as it's being used by the parent. The Blaine Amendment, I think, is going to be found to, to not apply. In fact, the Attorney General in the state of Idaho just issued an opinion this last year that it would be okay for at least what the legislature was trying to do, which was to have money follow the, the child. So he, he's in disagreement even with the current Attorney General's opinion on, on this issue. And I will strongly defend it. I will make sure that they draft it in a way that comports with the Constitution. I think 
This is the key the, to the difference between us. <clears throat> He's going to stand up and tell the legislators that what you're doing is wrong and what you're doing is unconstitutional. My job to work with the legislators is to help them draft it in a way that can be defended in the courts. So you don't have to file frivolous, frivolous suits. You don't have to file any lawsuits that we're going to lose. In fact, I think we're going to save money in the state of Idaho because they're going to trust their attorney general. They're going to understand that I will help them draft legislation in a way that is comports with the Constitution and with the statutes of our country and our state, and they will listen to me when I tell them that they shouldn't do something. With him, they're not going to listen to him because he's already said two or three occasions that when he disagrees with them, he's not going to defend what they're doing. Mr. Arkush, I'll give you 30 seconds to respond. I would like to keep my oath, and, and the, the top tier of the oath is the Constitution of the United States. How's that worked out so far? When, when the legislature decides to pass a blatantly unconstitutional amendment and then spend the Constitutional Defense Fund to defend it, it's never, it, it, it just costs us money. Okay. The next question comes from Jay Garcia. This is for both candidates, but Mr. Arkush, I'll begin with you. Uh, the legislature passed a bill this year making it easier to obtain chemicals used in executions by lethal injection. As Attorney General, it would be your responsibility to request and obtain a death warrant for a convicted person on death row. Would you be an advocate for death row? And what are your thoughts on transparency about the process? Well, this is a policy question squarely in the hands of the legislature. I do not see any offense to any constitutional provision like the things that we have previously been talking about. Uh, I, it's just, that's just a simple policy question, just like the, the determination is going to come down about non-medical care abortions. It's the law. And the Attorney General's office, his duty is to defend the law until the law offends either the state or the federal constitution. And that's one thing that counsel just wants to, just to pass over completely, that there may be more involved than the Idaho statute. And I don't think you can reasonably overlook that. We keep paying money every time we overstep that. I think the ACLU is hoping he's going to get elected so that we, they can have more litigation. Thank you. They, they haven't endorsed me yet, but I... <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Labrador, same question to you. So I, I don't know that I would be an advocate for uh, the death penalty. Uh, I think my job is to fulfill the <coughs> duties of attorney general and to follow the law as the legislature uh, passed it. What's your thoughts on transparency about the process? I think transparency is always good. And I agree with that. Mm -hmm. Next question is from Kelsey Mosley-Morris. Mr. Cruz, do you accept the results of the 2020 presidential election? Yes. There are many Idahoans who don't agree with you, and how would you work to assure, that, assure them that our elections are secure? So this reflects upon the difference between my opponent and me. He told Mark Meadows that day that he, that he would not have voted to certify that election. There have been 60 national and federal lawsuits. Every one of them has been dismissed because there are no facts contrary to the fact that the election was valid. What my opponent proposed to Lawrence Wasden and highly criticized him for was the failure to join Attorney General Paxton's lawsuit from Texas where he sued other states and tried to get them to decertify their own electors. Took the Supreme Court four days to get rid of that lawsuit. Uh, 
And the, the reason was that the Supreme Court said one state doesn't have standing to tell another state what to do. Two justices disagreed with that, but they said we wouldn't give you the relief anyway. And the consequence of that is are those rules I talked about. Attorney General Paxton, supported by my opponent, is now in front of the Texas bar on disciplinary proceedings for not having the facts and not having the law in filing a frivolous lawsuit. Thank you. Congressman Labrador, same question to you. Do you accept the results of the 2020 election? So I, I do. However, I think the election was problematic. And I think there's clearly evidence that the media uh, lied about a bunch of things that happened during the, during the 2016 election. We had a bunch of Democrats who were crying about Russia for four years and lying, providing disinformation about Russia. We have already seen Twitter and Facebook claim and, and admit that they hid information about Hunter Biden. There was a lot of stuff that was happening in the 2020 election. And what I say is that the election was stolen, but it was stolen in plain sight. I don't think some of the wilder claims that have been made about the election process that they have been borne out to be true. But there's no question that, that there were problems in the election process and that we as a people of Idaho need to ensure that we don't have those problems in Idaho. And one of the reasons there was a problem in the election process is because attorneys general and other people were telling their governors that they could change election laws in the middle of the pandemic. I don't agree with that. The U.S. Constitution is really clear. The U.S. Constitution says that only the legislature can change election laws at any time. Our own attorney general told the, the governor of the state of Idaho that he could change election laws in the middle of the pandemic. I think that advice was unconstitutional, and if I were the attorney general, I would have told him that he needed to call the legislature into session if he was going to try to change the election laws in the middle of the pandemic. That's why I think that lawsuit was adequate. The Supreme Court decided that there was no standing, but the issue that was being raised, whether other states can change election laws without the use of the legislature, is actually being litigated in the Supreme Court this year. There's actually a, loss, uh, a case before the Supreme Court right now about whether legislatures or, at, or attorneys generals or governors or other or justices can change election laws. And it's a pretty important issue that I think we need to look at. So on the subject of that text to Mark's Med Mark Meadows, um, you talked about January 6th that day. Mm -hmm. um, how would you characterize the events of J January 6th looking back now? I think it was a sad day in history. And that's why, you know, most people like, like uh, my opponent keep concentrating on on what I said, that I probably, I didn't say I would have, I said I probably would have voted to, decert to decertify or to not certify, but I wanted somebody to stand up and, and call the people back. I think there were some things that were happening that day that were sad for our nation, and I think that we need to take that very seriously. I, I, I'm for law enforcement, whether it's conservatives that are violating mm. the law or whether it's liberals that are violating the law. If you look at everything that happened uh, prior to January 6th, if you saw the Antifa things that happened in, in Portland, if you, see the th if you look at the things that happened in Seattle, if you see the things that happened in Washington, D.C., just prior to the election, there were a lot of things where people were violating the law, and I wish that law enforcement would go after all those things, not just one group. The next question is from Jake Garcia. 
Uh, let's talk about water rights. Uh, they are extremely important to Idahoans in agriculture. The Attorney General handles extensive litigation on this complicated section of law. So what would you do differently than the current administration, Mr. Arkush? They've done a good job. I was involved in the water rights litigation for more than a decade. The Attorney General uh, and his staff were excellent. There, I have no criticism of them. The difficulty I do have is my opponent has announced after his water law experience, that is one day on a water law tour rather than more than a decade in the courts, is that he would sit down with other states and negotiate uh, the apportionment of our water. And I have to say this, I think any, I, I, that's the worst thing we can do is invite discussions with other states. There's an old poker saying, if you sit down at the table and you can't see the mark, it's you. And so I do not want to try to invite other states into the Snake River Basin or the Boise Basin. Um, I have had a lot of experience with water law, and I think now, because we're in a drought, we don't need a greenhorn stepping in. I think what needs to happen is exactly what happened in the Yakima Valley. I think the junior users and the senior users need to get together and they need to see that as our problem, not their problem, and put together a long-term, consistent, well-funded, 30-year plan to change our water budget in a realistic way. Thank you. Mr. Labrador, same question. So I just want to be clear that what he just said was totally false. Uh, he keeps saying this in, on the stump, and he keeps saying this in different places. What I said on a Facebook post is that I had a great time meeting with the water users, and I look forward to working on the issues, and I will work with anybody on, on the issue. He keeps adding, and every single time that I hear him talk about it, he adds a new line that I have never said. But the reality, I, I think the media really needs to look at this. I, he just said that he had spent 10 years on water adjudication. He, you know, in, in his announcement, I think Jim Jones said that he worked extensively on litigation surrounding the Snake River Basin adjudication. I think he has told the press that he played a key role in the Snake River Basin adjudication. One leading water law attorney, uh, Norm Samanko, that everybody knows is an expert on water law, and I don't consider myself an expert, so I, I just want to be clear. I'm going to hire experts to work on that issue because that is an issue that is so important to the people of Idaho, is so important to the farmers, and I will have the best lawyers. I won't do what he just did, claim to be an expert and claim to do things when what the water users in Idaho are tired of is people that are not listening to their concerns are not, not willing to work with them. But what he said is, I worked on the litigation from 1992 to its conclusion. I know Tom, but there's no conception of extensive work or significant contribution that I can think of that would apply to Tom and the adjudication. He keeps touting this adjudication process. We have looked online, and he, at best, he played an insignificant role in some of the small cases. He's not an expert on water laws. He keeps going around the state saying that he is. Mr. Arkush, I'll nice try, counsel. You will see my name on the cases that are the current law in Idaho on water law. Norm Smanko did, in fact, play a very small role. I represented the American Falls Reservoir District Number Two, one of the largest users of water in the Magic Valley, from the commencement 
uh, of the process up through about 12 years. Uh, Council's just wrong. And he's also wrong about a statement he said that he would defend our water through sensible policies with our sister states. No. That's the opposite of what he said. I, I just want people to hear he has a tendency to exaggerate and to, to, to misconstrue what I say. If you do that in the court, they call you out. Apparently in politics, it's okay to do it. But I'm pretty precise in the words that I say, and I never said that I was going to sit down and do adjudication and, and negotiation. I said, I, I'm going to work with our sister states if necessary. There's nothing wrong. I get accused of being a lone wolf who's not willing to sit down with people. And then when I say that I'm going to sit down with people, then people will misconstrue what I say. I, I think it's ridiculous, and I think the people of Idaho will see right through that. We do have to move on. The next question yeah. is from Kelsey. While we're on the subject of staffing, uh, the current Attorney General has spoken publicly about turnover rate in the AG's office due to the relatively low salaries that their Deputy Attorney Generals make. Nearby city and county attorney offices just simply pay more. From mid-May to mid-September, the office reported six staff departures. What would you do to retain staff and advocate for salary increases, starting with Mr. Arkush? Well, the Attorney General's office, as I understand it, is people by lawyers who are there for considerations other than economic considerations. <clears throat> and I agree with the premise of your question. It's hard to keep those people there given the salary level. So the people you have are going to be good lawyers, dedicated lawyers, and loyal lawyers. The first thing that you do not want to tell them is if they don't agree with your agenda, they're fired. And that's what my opponent has said would happen to anybody in his office that disagreed with his, his thinking. Now, it's going to be the guy in the back of the room. I've run uh, law offices for 44 years. It's going to be the smart guy in the back of the room that's not going to raise his hand because he's going to lose his job. And because he didn't raise his hand and point out the fallacies, you're going to have another fatefully expensive lawsuit. You can't run a law office that way. These people are in, are professionals, and the only thing you can keep do to keep them <clears throat> if you don't have money is treat them like professionals. And I don't think that'll happen, given my opponent's point of view about people who disagree with him. <clears throat> there, there he goes again. Disagreeing with the agenda is not disagreeing with the legal analysis. Anybody who has worked with me knows that I bring people into the room and I want different opinions to be expressed. <clears throat> I want different opinions to be borne out. When I have my executive team, whenever it's in the congressional office, I always hired people who had different opinions, who had different methods of delivering their opinions, because I wanted there to be a team of rivals who was working together and bringing forth the best ideas. What I was talking about is what any good leader would say. Once a decision is made after we've hashed out all of the issues, if they can't follow the decision that is made by the Attorney General's office, they shouldn't be working at the Attorney General's office. That's good leadership. That's not, that has nothing to do with politics. Any good leader would tell you that you want the best people around you, and that's what I want. I want the best lawyers around me who are going to give me their opinions, who are going to give me their ideas, so I can make the best, most informed decision. And if once I make the best, most informed decision, if somebody on that team cannot abide by the decision that I make, they shouldn't be working in my office, and they shouldn't be working for the people of Idaho. Okay. We need to move on. The next question comes from Jake Garcia. 
Uh, this is for both of you, but Mr. Arkush, I'll start with you. I always get to go first. You always get to go first. <laughs> uh, at least one member of the U.S. Supreme Court has indicated that after Roe v. Wade was overturned, that the court's decision on legalizing gay marriage would be reevaluated, turning the decision on same-sex marriage back to the states. If that happens, Idaho's constitution bans same-sex marriage. What should happen to existing same-sex marriages, which have been legal since 2014? I think they'll have to stay legal. I mean, that's a bridge I don't want to cross until it's thoroughly researched. Uh, and, and the Supreme Court of the state of Idaho, if that comes back to us, has told us what to do. I think that's very important. I, th that's an opinion I just can't throw off the cuff. It's a hypothetical that would be unjust to opine on. I can tell you this. In the Murray versus... Um, uh, Pocatello case, uh, which was prior to Roe versus Wade, and it's state law, they said that there is a right of privacy in the marital relationship. And I do understand that the state constitution says that relationship is only between a man and a woman. So when the Supreme Court gets done, if it comes back to us, and if the Supreme Court gets done with that can of worms, I will enforce what they say to do. Mr. Labrador, same question. Yeah, uh, number one, I think you misstated what Clarence Thomas said. Actually, what Clarence Thomas said is that he had questions about the right of privacy. But if you listen or <coughs> read any of his writings, he may actually find a right under some other part of the Constitution. And that's what the legal analysis and, and the legal discussion is about. So I, I don't think that he ever said that, that he would throw out... Um, uh, the, the but he right indicated right. that it would be reviewed again. It, it, he just indicated that it would be reviewed, but what I, most legal scholars, even conservative legal scholars, me, think that means is that he's going to look for some other doctrine uh, within, within the Constitution. So, so I'm, but, but as, as uh, my opponent just said, this is purely hypothetical. And the reality is that I have talked to just about every single legislator over the last year when I've been running for this office, and I haven't heard a single legislator talk about this issue. You guys in the media love to talk about it, but I don't think this is top of mind for any of the legislators that are, that, that are actually currently going to serve in the legislature. All right, Mr. Labrador, I'm going to move to consumer protection with a question for you. Yeah. Um, not everything in the job involves active litigation. No. Um, you got consumer protection issues mm. like combating scams and other mm. fraud. How will you address this issue if elected? I'm actually really excited about the consumer protection uh, aspect of this job. As you know, a member of Congress has a constituent services office. The constituent services office is the one that interacts with the public. It's, so it's the non-political part of, of being a congressman. And, and it, that was actually what I enjoyed the most, is when I was helping individuals in Idaho who had problems with the federal government, who had problems, whether it was with the VA, with military services, with benefits that they were entitled to, even benefits that I disagreed with politically, like in, in some areas. The job of my constituent services office was to help the individual citizens of Idaho to get those benefits if they were entitled to them. I think I had the best constituent services office in the entire state of Idaho. I'm proud of the work that we did. We received numerous letters saying that they had actually asked other congressional offices for help and that ours was the one that actually helped them. So I see consumer protection as a constituent service type of service where you can help the individual people in Idaho when they have issues 
issues in, in, in consumer protection. And I think that's something that we're going to be able to do very, very well because I already have that extensive experience as a former member of Congress. I'm going to switch a little bit the emphasis. The current cons Consumer Protection Office spends a lot of time doing these national cases that don't really help individuals in Idaho. They don't really receive a lot of money back. I want to help more individuals in the state of Idaho. So I'm excited about the work that can be done in that office. Okay. Mr. Arkfuch, same question. Well, I think Lawrence Wasden has one of the, the best consumer protection divisions in the United States. I disagree with the statement that he has not brought back money to people in the state of Idaho. He has brought back literally hundreds of millions of dollars. And I would like to continue that legacy if the people that are doing it for him are still there. I think that <clears throat> given the attrition in the current political climate, they may well not be there. And that division, again, will have to be reconstituted. But that has been probably one of the most graceful things that has happened to people out of the Attorney General's office. Thank you. We're nearing the end of the show and getting close to closing remarks, so keep that in mind for the next couple of questions. All right, this uh, question is for both of you. Um, this year we've seen a former lawmaker convicted of rape and several high-ranking officers and police departments investigated. The AG's office is often tasked with investigating public corruption complaints and recommending if charges should be filed. If elected, how transparent would you be in these types of investigations? Mr. Labrador? I, I think that's one of the most important things that an attorney general or any public elected official can do. I have always been transparent in everything that I do. I believe it's important that the trust of the people of Idaho and the trust of the American people is enshrined in the decisions that we make. The reason people hate politicians is because they say one thing to get elected and they do something else. They get in office and they abuse their power. I've had a lot of accusations in my life of being too conservative and too many things, but I have always been known for my integrity and for the things that I do. I think every elected official should be held to, high, uh, to, to a higher account, and I think that I, we will make sure that, that we prosecute whatever crimes are committed uh, in the state of Idaho. Mr. Arkush, same question. I believe in transparency to the extent you can, you can process the work. I, I mean, I've been a prosecutor, and, and you can't tell, you, <laughs> you can't put your case file out to the defense counsel, okay? But I agree with counsel. When those kind of things happen, and they're a statewide problem, you need to tell the public everything you can, so far as it doesn't interfere with the work. The two biggest problems we have in this state, I believe, are fentanyl, and, and I see nothing to hide about the fentanyl problem. That, for that matter, more information we have, the better we are. And I think that these homegrown militias are probably our second biggest problem. And I think that my opponent may have a relationship with some of those folks. I don't know for sure, but it's going to create a conflict, and that's not going to be transparent. Thank you. Congressman Labrador, I'll give you 30 seconds to respond to that. It was a ridiculous statement, so I won't respond to it. <laughs> Next question from Kelsey Mosley-Morris. This is a question for both of you as well. Is it necessary for the legislature to have private counsel paid for with taxpayer funding in addition to the AG's office expense as is happening currently in our abortion lawsuits? 
What was the Is it fair? What was your question? Is it necessary? So that's a great question. So I believe the legislature should have their own council, but I don't think it should be private council. I think one of the reasons that we're going to save money when I'm the attorney general of the state of Idaho is that I'm going to encourage the legislature to hire their own attorneys, but they're going to be state attorneys. They're going to be attorneys working for the government. We're wasting millions and millions and millions of dollars right now because the legislature doesn't trust the attorney general's office. So they go out and they hire a private law firm. Uh, some of them are Jim Jones's friends, and that's why he's not happy that I'm running for attorney general, because they're making a ton of money uh, representing the state when it should actually be either the attorney general's office or it should be the uh, the attorneys for the legislature. I don't think we should be spent, you know, paying $400, $500 an hour for an attorney when we can get some good qualified attorneys to work for the legislature. Now, in lawsuits, I'm hoping that the attorney general's office handles all those lawsuits and that we bring back what, what I want to do is I want to bring up the level of professionalism in the Attorney General's office. I want to have a suite of attorneys that are the best attorneys in the state of Idaho that can take on the civil litigation so no one feels that they have to hire an outside attorney to represent their interests. And that's what's happening right now. The legislature feels that the Attorney General is not representing their interests. You have some outside agencies that feel that, they, that the Attorney General's office is not representing their interests. I want to make sure that we have the best lawyers and when we have the best lawyers, we're actually going to save money for the state of Idaho. There are a lot of lawyers who are not comfortable with a, a political position when it comes to litigation. Are you, are you concerned that there aren't going to be as many lawyers who want to work for that type of thing? Oh, in fact, I, I, I have an embarrassment of riches right now. I have so many attorneys that are contacting me that, that won't, they want to come work for my office. Because not every decision is political. And I think you, you guys need to get your definitions right. And I think what you're doing is a disservice to the people of Idaho. Political means that it participates in the political process. If you're not willing to work in an office that participates in the political office, you shouldn't be in a job in the Attorney General's office. You keep misconstruing what it is. My opponent keeps misconstruing what it is. It's just making sure that you understand that you're working with elected officials. That's all political means. Stop doing that, and you need to stop doing that, because I have never said that I'm going to put politics above the law. You just implied it, and I wish you would stop it. Mr. Arkush, it's just tough when the words are on paper. I think get a dictionary. It's pretty simple what political means and what the political process means. <laughs> I, I read your words. So, but so what, I think what, what were my words? What were my words? Don't speak over me, please. No, but what were my words? This is a very simple process <laughs> with very simple rules. If you can't follow these rules, don't expect the people in the state of Idaho to vote for you to the chief rule keeper. The, the attorney general's office needs to sign all pleadings. I think that's very important. Whether they're hired outside, but before they do litigation, I think constitutionally, the person has to be deputized as an attorney general or be somebody from the attorney general's office. Now, whether the legislature wants to hire counsel and be counseled rather than be represented in court, I think is fine, and it's something that they do. Briefly, and I'll give you 30 seconds for this, how would you recruit and retain private attorneys to come work in the public sector? <clears throat> Economics isn't going to help us. I concur with that premise of that. I think you're going to have to inspire them and they're going to have to be
truly have a spirit uh, 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 in their hearts, a, a spirit of public service. Thank you. See, I already have that. I already have a group of lawyers that have reached out to me that work for large law firms that want to work in an attorney general's office that will represent well the people of Idaho. I will continue to ask the question, what words did I say that, that are being misconstrued? Because he keeps using these words that I have never used uh, and I have never said. I know that he loves to say that, but he does that again and again and again, and I think that's why the people of Idaho are not going to trust him. Well, yeah, thank you. It's time for closing Absolutely. remarks. We're going to have to leave it there. And Mr. Arkush, you're up first. So when I was a young lawyer in Emmett, Idaho, <clears throat> I'd go to Kiwanis lunch, and there was a guy on my left named Louis Garano, which was an old attorney there, and a guy on my right, I've got my right and my left mixed up, was uh, Brad Little's dad, Senator Dave Little. And he was a conservative fellow, and Louie was a Democrat. And they would wreck my lunch every day. I'd sit in the middle, and they'd, every Wednesday, they'd go like this. And it bothered me until I started listening. And here were two people who had known each other their entire professional careers. Louie was Senator Little's attorney, and they liked each other. So what was this all about? Well, when I listened, I learned this is what they were doing. They were looking for consensus. They were talking out the problem, and they were trying to find out what the other folks meant. That's what I want to do in the Attorney General's office. Thank you. Congressman Labrador. <clears throat> thank you for having us tonight. Thank you for the questions, and thank you to the audience for listening to this debate. I think it's pretty clear that the people of Idaho are looking for a strong, aggressive, conservative Attorney General that will defend the people of Idaho, not a person who's going to make deals with the federal government, not a person who's going to let the Biden administration run right over the state of Idaho as it's going to take away our sovereignty and our freedoms and our liberties. I'm the person that is best qualified to be the Attorney General. My opponent decided uh, very late in the game that first he was an independent, then he was a Republican so he could vote against me, and then he ran as a Democrat to run against me. I think the only person in this race who is a political opportunist is my opponent. He has decided that he's going to, I've never seen anything like this happen in the state of Idaho, where somebody has done something so cravenly political. And I think the people of Idaho are going to see through this. I'm excited about the opportunity that I have to represent you, and I thank you for the years of service that you have given me, and I look forward to being your next Attorney General. Thank you so much. Thank you to both of our candidates tonight and to the reporters for their questions and our viewers at home for watching. The general election is November 8th. If you haven't already, you can register to vote at the polls. For more information, go to voteidaho.gov. Thanks again for watching and we'll see you at the polls. The Idaho Debates is organized by these partners. Funding provided by the Friends of Idaho Public Television, the Idaho Public Television Endowment, and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.